Welcome back, everybody. I'm Dr. J.D. Romick. Talking to strangers can actually improve your health. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. J.D. Romick here again with Dr. Mary Peterson. I'm very excited about this discussion. If you missed our last podcast on happiness, please tune in. But I'm going to let Mary give a brief intro about herself again. Uh, And we're going to talk about loneliness today. We are. We are. And it's a heavy topic, but I think we'll come away with some strategies and some different things that we can do. So I'm Mary Peterson, as you said. I'm Dean of Behavioral Health Sciences at George Fox University. And that means that I have the five behavioral health programs, including social work, psychology, and counseling. I've been a licensed clinical psychologist for about 25 years uh, and always had a clinical practice. My area of research and teaching and interest is health psychology. So how health interacts with the way we think and the way we feel. I love this. So a topic that I've been dying to talk about on this podcast is, you know, loneliness. So we've been thrown into a world that, you know, we've never seen before with the COVID pandemic. You know, we've been uh, told to stay in our homes. We've been isolated for some of us. You know, I'm very grateful I have a husband and I had a newborn daughter at the beginning of the pandemic. So we were pretty, we kept ourselves busy. But I kept seeing perspectives of folks that lived alone or maybe they were in really dysfunctional families or Mm -hmm. didn't have great relationships with the people they lived with. So the topic of of loneliness and isolation was something that I was really curious about. From my definition or from my experience, there's a couple ways that you can feel lonely. And I'll let you define it in a minute. But, you know, the idea that loneliness can be where you're completely by yourself and alone and isolated. But another version of loneliness of which even I've felt, you know, being a very social extroverted person Mm -hmm. is sometimes it's the idea that you're not seen or understood, or you can be surrounded by a lot of people and yet you still feel like you're alone or Mm -hmm. like you're not fitting in wherever you are. So can you, can you define what loneliness actually is and maybe what problem we're facing with loneliness? Well, as you said, it really hit new levels of concern during the pandemic. And let's start with the definition. The definition is an unwanted loss or lack of companionship. Hmm. Unwanted loss or lack of companionship. So if somebody wants to be alone, then they're not lonely, Hmm. right? And- People can be lonely. They just want to be around people. They want to have connection. I mean, do you know some people in the pandemic, whether they're people who were in assisted living facilities or people who just were isolated, who didn't see people for months? I mean, being a physical therapist, that was a huge barrier even for us, you know, seeing patients deteriorate because they, they couldn't, their families wouldn't weren't allowed to come see them. Right. And there were folks that said, I would rather get COVID than be alone. Yes. Or yes. than to be isolated from my family because for them, that connection meant more than being sick with a virus. Absolutely. And even at the university, the university had made the decision to allow the students to live in the dorms. And some people said, oh, but that puts them at risk. Me, as a mental health provider, said, 
they're likely to be at far greater risk if they are isolated at home by themselves, especially that 18 to 24 age group. It's a super vulnerable time. So I think that you're right. We've got to weigh the risks. And I respect whatever decision people made. But loneliness took a huge emotional and physical toll during COVID. Absolutely. So I, I actually want to touch on something you said. The the age group of 18 to 24-year-olds being very vulnerable at risk. So I think about you know the older population who they said, they're the immune compromised and they're the most likely to be impacted by this. But as it, as it uh, pertains to loneliness, 18 to 24, why is that the age group that you think is particularly vulnerable? Well, because it is such a period of instability in relationships. Mm. And if you think about loneliness is about companionship, the withness of somebody being with somebody. And the problem with loneliness is we're always doing comparisons in our mind. Mm. And when we feel less than, we tend to withdraw, which makes us even lonelier. Oh, gosh. Yes. And so that's the challenge with the 18 to 24-year-old because oftentimes they're in transition with the tribe. They don't have like the high school tribe or if they don't have a collective tribe, they're figuring life out. And there's so many different influences. That's that's a really big piece that I didn't even consider is, you know, you leave high school and you go to college. Right. It's a new group of people. Right. Hopefully you get a new tribe or you gain a great group of people in college, but then you leave college around 22 maybe. And then again, you're kind of, right. You know, subtracted from that tribe, you know, everybody's working, doing their thing. So Mm -hmm. I can understand how both of those instances pull you away from, you know, the things that help us feel more human or whole, right? which are those relationships. Absolutely. Because that 18 to 24, also, if they've moved away from home, they've moved away from their family tribe. Hmm. You know, you decades or centuries before, people didn't move away from their primary tribe. Hmm. Loneliness was less of an issue, right? Right. Uh, and now, because we are more fragmented, because we do move and we lose our sense of tribal identity. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It increases. You know, the loneliness... It's, it's very interesting. So this, I want to get to your point that you said loneliness, we can be lonely when we're in a crowd because mm. it's that sense of companionship, of withness that somebody is in it with me. Mm-hmm. And if you're in a big group, you might be in a big group, but if you don't feel connected, then you're just as lonely as if you're by yourself. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So... This epidemic of loneliness. Right. How did we how did we get here? Okay. So if you're mentioning, you know, the tribe piece, right. We leave our tribe, we get disconnected. Mm-hmm. What has contributed to this problem the most? Right. So I think let's step back real quick and say when we talk about the epidemic of loneliness, the most recent research identified fifty-eight percent of people identify as lonely. Can you believe that? 58%. 58%. Now, granted, we're coming off COVID, but that's huge. And the research, you know, they use the UCLA Loneliness Index. So, I mean, it's they're assessing loneliness pretty well. 
and people feel disconnected. They don't feel like they can have someone to talk to, someone mm-hmm. to turn to who understands them. Yeah. So it's interesting to me. So I really got into the research a little bit more on this about understanding what actually did happen during COVID. And the loneliness happened just for pure physical isolation. Mm-hmm. And we can understand that. And I think, you know, we're surrounded in Newburgh with people who live in retirement communities where some of them were under quarantine. Oh, yes. They couldn't come out of their room. And you as a physical therapist, yes. Like, how could they receive care mm-hmm. or even the touch from a physical therapist, yeah. which can be so affirming. But what I'll tell you is the other thing that we lost during COVID, we lost the big relationship ties that keep us connected and feel, not feeling lonely. The research has identified strong ties and weak ties in relationships. So strong ties in relationships are like your husband, your kids, your immediate family, maybe really close friends. But weak ties are all those things, the people that, the barista that you see in Starbucks, mm-hmm. um, all your students that you see. Yes. You know, they're weak ties. You don't know very much about them. They right. know you. Hi, Dr. Romick. Those are weak ties. But what we know are weak ties predict feelings of social connectedness. Mm. That if you have a lot of weak ties, you feel connected. That's true. If your barista recognizes you, right. you feel seen. You feel seen. You don't seen. feel like an invisible person just walking through the line. Right. Collecting your cup of coffee. That's exactly right. So I'll tell you, you know, I always have all these research studies, right? Because this is what I like to do. I love it. So they were trying to assess the impact of weak ties on people. So they gave half people in the study Starbucks cards and they say, go into Starbucks, but you don't want to stress the barista out. Just go pay for it. Don't, you know, engage in any kind of conversation. Just use this to get your coffee. And then the other group, they said, here are your Starbucks cards. Go to the, you know, barista and check in, ask them how they're doing or just try and say something Mm -hmm. nice or maintain eye contact for a little bit. So anyway, so they did that and then they measured, I will tell you, feelings of connectedness and also happiness was part of it, but it's connectedness and then happiness. For the group that was told to connect with the barista, Mm -hmm. they had higher measures of social connectedness and happiness and the barista had wow. higher levels of social connectedness. Wow. And it was simply with acknowledging, saying good morning. Yes. It is a weak tie. But it gives you so much fulfillment. In That's your life. exactly right. Wow. That's right. So, again, when they're studying people and seeing their response to weak ties, the way that it affects endorphins. And our physiological response is pretty powerful. Wow. Nick Eppley's lab has done research on how people feel after they talk to strangers. Because most of us don't like to talk to strangers, right? It's just kind of against the social it. norms. Personally, I love it. Oh, that's wonderful. Not starting full conversations right. with people because I'm that person. If you sit by someone on the air, in the on the airplane, yeah. I don't need to have a conversation. But right. you're right. It's uncomfortable to mm-hmm. reach out. My husband's very opposite of me. He's just like, right. why can't you just move keep going and and you say <laughs> so, because i'm building weak ties I, I love 
love weak ties. They, they're so fun. And maybe it's just because I need validation or something. No, sure. no. And now, now you can tell your husband, I'm doing an evidence-based strategy. I love this. It does make me feel really good. Yeah. Relationships make me feel really good. They do. And that is consistent with what all the research will say. And even when, and it doesn't even matter if they're introverts or extroverts. If people can talk to strangers, Epley's research is really clear. I mean, there's really good solid physiological research that supports this, that people feel better. Yeah. So that's where we say weak ties, strong ties. And I would submit that in COVID, yes, it was the strong ties that we couldn't see the people that that we needed to see. But we also lost those weak ties. Think about your workplace that's environment. so true. JD, like everybody's working from home, right? Mm-hmm. What about all the weak ties that just happen as part of your work day? That's, if anything, the whole work day. Right. People often report other people being the reason they have high job satisfaction. Right. People will stay in a less than desirable job because of the people right. rather than seeking a very well-paying job. Oh, and don't quote me on the evidence on this one. This is just something I've heard anecdotally that if you enjoy your work life, it has a lot to do with the people. Absolutely. That's exactly right. I think a predictor is your job satisfaction is strongly correlated to, can you identify if you have a best friend at work? Mm, right? Interesting. Yeah, I love you that. You know, I was talking to the vice president of people, which is like, you know, an HR position, I assume, of a, of a relatively large company. And she said, it was so, and this was just a couple weeks ago. She said, it was so lovely. I walked through the break room and they were having like a wedding, sh- a baby shower yes. for one of the employees. A baby shower for one of the employees, their friends put it on. That is a perfect example of weak ties. Mm -hmm. And walking through and saying, oh, congratulations. That stuff did not happen when everybody was quarantined at home. And that's where it is going to be interesting to see what the lack of weak ties does for perpetuating the ongoing loneliness. I would submit... and. Whether people are working from home or going into the office, it's not my decision. I wonder, though, from a loneliness standpoint, if there's something that we can do to supplement Mm. for the lack of weak ties that happen when somebody's just working at home. Yeah, that's that's a great question. Yeah. I'd love to have some of your tips on that as well. It's interesting. So you talk about kind of these different areas of our lives of having loneliness. So you were talking about our intimate relationships, our friendships, our, can you expand a little bit on that? Because with these weak ties, I'm really inspired. But then I think about what about the people that were in marriages that crumbled during the pandemic, or they had children maybe that didn't feel very close to them, or it made kind of these strifes in relationships harder because they were forced to be together and they realized you know, maybe, maybe they weren't connecting as well as they should. Right. So tell me more about that. All right. So let me, so Vivek Murthy, who's the surgeon general, he has called this an epidemic of loneliness Mm -hmm. and he's actually written a book about loneliness. And that is one, he said, you know, as surgeon general, you think your, your major health priority is going to be something like cardiovascular disease or obesity. His major initiative is to fight loneliness. And it is because of all the health risks that come with loneliness. 
I so, actually listened to him on Brene Brown's podcast. All right. So this was the Go guy. For it. So okay. he was talking about how loneliness can be more harmful than smoking, obesity. Um, He's right. And it can lead to impaired judgment, early mortality, right. um, poor sleep, like all these other health behaviors that we're really trying to focus on to just improve our longevity. But loneliness can actually be unraveling all of that. It or is. It could be worse than some of that. That is great that you just listen to him because that's exactly right. Yeah. And to have the Surgeon General say it's worse than so many other factors. It's the equivalent of smoking. I think it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes yes, a day. Yes, that's what I heard. Is that what he said? Oh, okay. my gosh. Right. And then mortality for people is loneliness is up to 50% higher. I mean, loneliness is a huge health risk. Yes. Right? So it's emotional. So at any rate, so Vivek Murthy and researchers work with him they identified the three different kinds of loneliness yes. so as you said the first one is intimate loneliness so that would be like with your life partner mm -hmm. divorce i mean really close relationships and that was hard during covid where yeah. for some people the relationship was positively affected because they had time together and they yep. kind of figured things out uh like how are we navigating this whereas others it crumbled and yeah. the lack of an intimate relationship is a huge predictor of loneliness. Yeah. Right. So then the second area, the second domain, if you will, that I think is probably a little more relevant to things that we can actually do something about. And that's the relationships. So we have intimate loneliness. We have relational loneliness. Relational loneliness is basically the friendships that we have, the mm. family members that we have, the people in our world. And there's a couple things about that. One is we can really build connection with that level of relationship. So there's a series of questions, you know, some early researchers from Aaron's lab uh, identified these questions that are guaranteed to make you well, they said, like somebody, somebody else said, guaranteed to make you fall in love. I think that's okay. a little excessive. Yeah. But it's the idea of self-disclosure and risk, that we can build these relationships if we're willing to be vulnerable. Like, even you being able to say that you have felt lonely different times when you're mm -hmm. in a crowd, that is the kind of thing that builds relationship. And for me to be able to respond and say, yes, yeah, yes, I felt the same thing, like, you know, I'm surrounded. And then, you know what most people do when we feel lonely in a crowd? We well, default to our phone. Oh, of course. Right? Yep. And so they're like, when we're feeling lonely in a crowd, the worst thing we can do is default to our phone. Yep. It's being present. I'm going to have one conversation before I let myself leave here. Yeah. Like, that would be That's a, a great, strategy. That's a great strategy. Yeah. One conversation for at least 10 minutes before I leave. Yes. You know, and so that's the kind of thing that we need to do with relationships. The other thing is... There's this thing called the likability gap. And this is a misperception that we have that if I introduce myself and start talking to somebody, I'm going to perceive that they don't really like me. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, we get to that negativity bias yep. that we have. Yep. Over and over again, we know that people rate the interaction and the person as more likable than the person felt themselves. That's interesting. So yeah, it's so true. We're we're so self conscious about right. how someone's going to perceive us that we probably don't get, even give our best selves or don't want to. Right, or, 
Right. We over-index on awkwardness. Mm -hmm. That's what we say <laughs> all the time. Over-index on awkwardness. You know, you're much more likable than you probably realize. Like, how do you coach your students into that? That's a that's a tough thing because it's like you want to give them just self-confidence. You want to pump them up. You right. want to tell them, if you saw what I saw, you would you would believe in yourself. But yes. it's, it's hard to coach because I feel like it is so internal. Right. But I'd love your thoughts on that too. Yeah, I think, you know, we can tell them the likability gap exists. So this is something we know from the research. You're not going to feel like you're nearly as likable as your patients are going to feel. You're way mm. more likable than you feel. Mm. Right? Yeah. And then again, from the relationship standpoint, what we know is being present with people and being curious. Mm. You know, if, and I could send you the Aaron's questions, you know, but yeah. it's, you say, what did you enjoy doing this week? What was something you enjoyed doing this week? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it is engaging and then building that relationship through just this natural curiosity. Yes. And knowing that people want to be known. Yes. I think my husband thinks I interrogate people, uh -huh. but I am a genuinely curious person. And I do feel like the more you ask people about themselves, aside from, you know, what do you do for work? Or, you know, I, I think the the standard questions and the small talk can be so not inviting. I'll just say right. that. So for me, I really like that question of, you know, what did or maybe what is something you're learning lately yeah. is something that I love asking people or, or how was your day today? Yeah. Tell me about the best part of your day today. Right. Giving people an opportunity to open up about themselves and things that they're doing are interested in, you know, what's the latest book you've read? I, there are things that I love asking people that tell me more about a person than what do you do for work? Absolutely. And I, I kind of hate that question too. Right. Cause I'm like, based on my answer, are you going to judge the type of person that I am? Are you really interested in what work I do? Right. Or is this just like, you don't know what else to ask? Yes. Anyway. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm always curious about what's meaningful for people. Now that's too heavy of a question to ask like right in the beginning. Right. But, yeah. you know, like I want to know, what do you enjoy doing? Like, who yes. are you? Yes, yeah. exactly. And I think that if we can engage people at the level where they are interested in self-disclosing anything, once we find common ground, Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like over the years, I've been to so many different events. Like I probably have been to more church potlucks than everybody in this room where we have this whole group <laughs> yeah. here. Uh, and I have just found if I can strike some note of common ground. Yes. If somebody can tell me that they've traveled somewhere or they like to cook or they do something, then yes. I can get some traction. So I think that's. So I would say to build that middle level of relationship is to initiate because we know it's going to start out probably as a weak tie, but that's all right. Yep. The likability gap, chances are they're going to walk away feeling much better about this interaction than I'm thinking that they're going to feel about this interaction. Yes. And I'm also doing it for my own happiness and well-being because yes. I know that my endorphins are going to spike. Totally. Right? You get the dopamine. And... The glide path to that is questions of self-disclosure, right? Mm -hmm. Appropriate levels of self-disclosure. And usually we can start with, what do they enjoy doing? Yes. Right? I love that. Yeah. What do you enjoy doing gives you a sense of the person. If it's something that you have no idea about, like right. spelunking, I right. don't know. Right. 
I would love to ask more questions. See, that's exactly right, because you're genuinely curious. Exactly. But if it's something that I do love and I do, you know, we just get talking about right. uh, I, some sport of some kind, then I'll get into that conversation as well. So it, right. it feels like two really great avenues to connect, whether you are interested in what that person does right. or you've never done it or, you know, any spectrum in between. Yep. So. So I love this. So these are these are great tips. Right. So I always ask about the top tips. So to whether it's to reduce loneliness, yes, form better connections. Right. Whether they're whether you want stronger ties or right. maybe some of these weaker bonds that right. we have day to day. Give us your top tips that you would. Yeah. So I would say. So let me go through the third kind of loneliness yes. first. Oh, though. sorry. Yeah, that's go right. It. And then because then the tips will fit with all those things. That's perfect. Um, so then the third kind of loneliness we said is the collective loneliness, that mm. sense of tribal loss, mm. right? And that's where our 18 to 24 year olds are vulnerable. Uh, it's where when people lose their job, they're vulnerable because yes. there's some collective identity there. And I think the other thing we saw with some of the radical political polarization yes. were people trying to find collective relationships, collective identities. Right. Because if you don't have an intimate relationship, if you're not friends where you can do weak ties and get to know people more, then knowing where you fit, you've got to belong. We right. all have to belong. Like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like right after food and shelter, we've got to have that sense of belonging. Yes. And so people will, to mitigate loneliness, they need to be part of a tribe and they will look to whatever tribe, quite frankly, they can accept we'll them. We'll accept them, yeah. Right. So then when you think about, okay, so what are some really practical strategies? I think be selective about what kind of tribe you want to be in. It doesn't matter. Maybe it's a sports tribe you're yeah. in. Yeah. Your church community can be yes. your tribe. If your family is not close, think intentionally like mm -hmm. how you can build a tribe. Yes. Right. And a lot of times the easiest way to do that is shared interests. Like if people mm -hmm. like to cook or sew or, you know, there's different groups that they can do that with. So then the relationship piece, you know, to build the tip for there is keep in mind that weak ties are going to improve your mood. Yes. And it's going to help you to not feel as lonely. And building weak ties can be nonverbal, smiling, mm -hmm. nodding, connecting. And that helps us to feel better. And then if we have time for conversation, mm -hmm. a conversation that we go into knowing the likability gap is in our favor. Yes. And questions of self-disclosure at appropriate levels. Yes. What would, what, give me like a couple examples of maybe some of these self-disclosure questions. I know the, what are you interested in? It is a great question, right. but right. are there others that you are your go-tos that yeah. you like to ask? Well, sometimes I just do my check-in with, so like if you're an, at an airport, you're like, a typical kind of thing is, you know, like rushing around, like, I don't know about you, but it's just been a crazy day, yes. you know, like to get here. And then it just kind of starts the conversation. Yeah. So we can do some moderate self-disclosure yes. on our own. And then if it's about friendship and wanting to build friendship, the best thing that we can do is start to talk about things that maybe have been hard for us, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So you go out to lunch, you know, with a new friend or you're just talking, you can just say, ah, I was so frustrated. Like, all right, so students, students have yes. to build relationship. 
it's really appropriate for students to say, man, that class is overwhelming to me. That would be appropriate self-disclosure. That class is really overwhelming to me. What's it like for you? Yeah. You know? That's great. And then chances are they'll commiserate. Or, you know, this food in the cafeteria, like, this isn't my favorite thing they're serving. Or have you found anything to eat here? Right. You know, it's- Or what do you like to cook? Or do you cook? Or is this, you know, really great food? Yes. You know, I love that. The perfect thing to do for self-disclosure, and it's gradual, is if you have kids or if you have animals- People yes. love to talk about their kids. People love to talk about that their is animals. That's also true, yes. Right? So what we're trying to do is look for easy topics of entry. Yes. They don't feel like the, we're asking somebody to be really vulnerable, right. but self-disclosure and at a level that's appropriate right. for them. No, I love that. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. So I think that those things are important to keep in mind, all three of those. I will say the 18 to 24-year-olds are at risk. Also marginalized groups actually Mm. the loneliest group out of anybody you know not a demographic but you know a split of a demographic is single moms Mm. i can understand can you understand that i can't imagine raising a daughter by myself right it's um it's just a very i can understand it being a very difficult thing and people love to call them warriors and pat them on the back and sometimes all you need is someone to come alongside you and that's, that's really exactly what you need. Right. You know, they say it takes a village to raise a family. I absolutely believe that, but we don't have the village like we used to. We don't have the tribe like we used to. Right. So I'm really resonating with you and jiving with you that we need to make those connections, especially within that parenting realm. I, again, can't imagine doing it alone right. and have so much respect for for mothers that do, do. Or, or fathers. I know single, single right. dads are also out there. So um, that's... That's great insight. Yeah. So, yeah. well, I really appreciate these tips um, and just this whole conversation. It's given me a lot of um, nuggets to go back to to my husband to tell him that I'm not weird for having conversations with no, strangers. No, and that weak or- ties. <laughs> yes, you could say right. weak ties are making me better and them better. It's making the world a better place. It's a great thing for my own mental health. Right. You know, being an extrovert, not being an extrovert, I don't think it matters, but I, I do agree. I think it makes your life one percent happier every day. I think it's a great, yeah. a great move. Is there anything else you'd like to share, you know, with our audience, with those listening right now? No, I think that that's everything. The one takeaway that the simplest takeaway is build those weak ties. Okay, right? I love that. That's great. Okay, thank you so Thanks. much, Mary. You're amazing. This video podcast is a production of George Fox Digital. To find more material like this, you can subscribe to George Fox Talks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Our team really appreciates your feedback in the form of likes, comments, and reviews, and we'd really love to hear what you think. To sign up for our weekly email list and to keep up to date with the latest episodes and publications, you can check us out on the web at georgefox.edu talks. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.